You're listening to Creatives Prevail, unraveling the stories of creative professionals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creatives Prevail. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is musician, author, entrepreneur, and coach, Adam Johnson. In this interview, we discuss how you can go niche, such as with a cover band, to help get more opportunities, as well as how you can build multiple companies around your passions, which is honestly something that Adam has done brilliantly. We also chat about Adam's creative strategy ebook, The Band System. Let's get into it. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. In fact, this happened... In basically like a week, I think you, yep. you reach out. So I, I sometimes like to talk about how I actually, let's face it. I like to talk about this almost on all my episodes of how my, I come about my guests yeah. and you reach out to me on LinkedIn. And- yeah, it was, it was just kind of a fortuitous thing. You know, I, um, I, I was going out to Nam, and I feel like once you say something on LinkedIn, it starts feeding you other people who are doing that. So I was just like, Hey, I'll be there. And uh, looked up your profile, was like, huh, seems like we're kind of in the same world. And so I just kind of shot you a message like, hey, I think we should probably know each other because we're kind of doing the same thing. So let's uh, let's connect. And and then you were like, hey, well, you want to be on my show? I was like, oh, all right. It was yeah, it was real quick. Yeah, it was very. And that's the thing is that when you reach out to me, because that was the thing is that there was a reason for you to reach out because of the fact mm-hmm. we're both going to Nam. And then when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, which was well-developed, hint, hint, everybody, like you, yeah. should have, <laughs> you should have a good LinkedIn profile if you're going to use it. And so, like you said, like we had a lot of, a lot of things in common and a lot of paths were, I noticed were, cro- you know, especially crossing, especially nowadays and realized, wow, you should, you're, would be a great guest on the show. So that's when I reached out to you and, and said, let's, let's do this episode. So yeah. kind of worked out being, uh, as of this recording a week prior to even going to the NAM show. So, yeah, so all worked yeah. out. Absolutely. So let's start. I always like to start in the beginning as well, as far as your career is concerned. So how did you get into music to begin with? Music was just one of those things that was always around. My parents were both kind of just music enthusiasts. Um, I sang in church as a kid and hated it because I, I would always get picked for the solos. And it was always embarrassing for me because I had a really high voice. And I didn't like my high voice, which is hilarious because singing in a high register is kind of how I make my living um, nowadays. But really, it was the pound cake video. I saw Van Halen's Pound Cake and saw Eddie Van Halen playing guitar with a drill. I was like, I want to do that. And um, I I started taking guitar lessons when I was 10 and, uh, you know, played all through high school, had bands, wrote songs, did all of that. And um, yeah, it was a huge part of my life. It was like I, you know, built my entire personality around being that guy. So uh, when it was time to go to school, it was like, well, I need to figure out how to make this some sort of job prospect. So um, I ended up going to MTSU for music business uh, as a way to kind of continue down that path. And I was like, if I don't get a job in the industry, I'll just use all the stuff I learned to promote myself. And, you know, I'll just be a, I'll be better at negotiating as an artist moving forward. So that's, that was my, my game plan. That's a very smart move because sometimes, especially if you are starting out, even 
if you don't have necessarily connections yet, or even if you do have some connections, but don't necessarily like have a full understanding of the industry, which is very mm -hmm. challenging to do unless you know, have a personal connection with somebody that's already in the industry, which right. not all of us did. I didn't when I started. Yeah. And so having some sort of formal education not only gives you a broad, like a very broad perspective of what the music industry is, what is capable within that industry, but in addition to that too, also can help you get access to resources right. along the way. And uh, one of the things I noticed that you had was, was an internship with a, with a booking agency. Yeah, it was, um, I, I interned with a company called Mad Booking and Events, which is no longer with us, rest in peace. And I knew them because I'm from the Atlanta area and they were an agency that booked a lot of outdoor like festival style events for local radio. And they, they did a series called On the Bricks down in Atlanta. And, you know, so I'd see their logo and, and all of that. And I knew that I had a tie in because one, I was from the I was from the area that they they work in. And then my drummer's roommate worked there. So I was like, all right, I've got two connections and that should be, you know, a, a, a way to get my foot in the door. And so that's that's basically how it worked. And I um, I was there for for about six months and kind of learned the ins and outs of booking promo tours and college tours and these big outdoor, uh, you know, concert series type deals. And it was it was fun. It was a, uh, we <laughs> the other thing that was really cool about that job is that uh, if you worked there, you got a T-Mobile sidekick. Nice. <laughs> you got to understand in 2002, like the T-Mobile sidekick was like, that was the one. That was the phone. You could talk using aim on your phone <laughs> and you didn't get to keep it. But anytime you were working, you could, you could carry it around. And That's so, pretty yeah, cool. That's definitely that was, a nice little perk. That's that was, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Besides that though, were there any other takeaways that you uh, received from doing that internship? Well, you know, the thing that you realize when you work for small companies is kind of the way that a founder or or the person kind of running the show dictates the the way the business is operated. And that's for better or worse, that that is that's the way it is. And it it kind of opened my eyes to the reality of the of the industry because a lot of the times you think that these things are are very complex and there's all of this nebulous stuff going on behind the scenes. And, and in reality, it, it's not. It's very simple. It's very basic. Uh, that's kind of where I got familiar with contracts and, you know, technical specs and writers for touring groups and that kind of thing. And the, the amount of access it gave me was really interesting because I could look up what any band was making at a show like whenever I wanted. And that was just a, an interesting kind of peek into the way the industry was running at the time. And mind you, again, this is turn of the century. So mm -hmm. I think when I started at MTSU, we were talking about the big six record yeah. labels. Yep. And yeah, it, every single year it got smaller and smaller and smaller. So most of the stuff that we learned is, is not relevant anymore because the industry has changed so much, but it was a it was a definitely an interesting time to be in in that world uh, as things were more or less falling apart. <laughs> it sounds like it, it gave you a base, though, right, of, of yeah. what to go off of, because a lot of things I've noticed in your career after that point essentially builded off of that internship as well as your education from yeah. university. 
yeah, it was just it was it was a good opportunity that I tried to take, you know, as much from as I could and ended up, you know, internalizing a lot of the best practices and stuff. And, and I still utilize that in the, in the things that I do today. So it was definitely a valuable uh, learning experience for sure. So, um, so you also created uh, Jukebox Zero Productions. And was, was this right after college at this point when you started Jukebox? It was something that kind of came, it was a, a matter of necessity, I suppose. Uh, when I, when I graduated, Nashville was kind of in this weird, again, the industry was kind of teetering and the job market wasn't, wasn't great. So, uh, I, I was trying to see if I could stay on with, uh, the booking agency and they just didn't have any availability because they were a small house. I think there was five people total there. Um, so I ended up moving back to Atlanta and when I got back here, it was weird because even though I was in this industry town, I felt like I found a lot more opportunities at home uh, versus what I could find in in Nashville, just because it's it's a lot less political and it's not quite so uh, insular. So I, I started working a fair amount and in doing the stuff that I was doing um, with Apple, you had kind of mentioned that in the pre-talk, uh, mm -hmm. I, had, I got, they paid me to get certified in, in logic pro. So I became a certified trainer and started composing just for my own, you know, initially just to learn the software, but started banking up these, these music beds and things that didn't necessarily fit in with the current project that I was doing. And my wife was working for a company that had a video department and they started looking for music and I just happened to be the person doing it. So I started this this company doing uh, music beds and, and freelance composition just because they needed it and I was able to provide it. So it was uh, it was a just a, a good good timing, I suppose. I really like that a lot because oftentimes we have a specific goal in our heads as far as what we want to specifically pursue, and we sometimes overlook these opportunities that if we adapted to the opportunity, we actually might end up doing something that we love and are passionate about, but was not even remotely close to what we originally envisioned it yeah. was going to be. Yeah. It, for me, it was something that uh, was just a, a creative outlet. It was just a way to like, all right, I'm going to open this thing up and let's just see what happens. And it didn't, it wasn't tied to a genre. It didn't have to sound like anything. It was just like, all right, well, I did this and I figured out how to do, I learned this new trick and let me see if I can put that into a, into a, a song or a, a you know a, a five bar clip that you know somebody else can use later on. So yeah, it was it was uh, just again good timing, good opportunity presented itself, and uh, I was able to make a little money off of it uh, in in the process. I also wanted to point out too that during that time that you were also working for Apple, and I think that's also mm -hmm. important to point out because sometimes uh i we feel like it's an all or nothing deal right especially mm -hmm. when it comes to music right it's like you either in it full you know full you know full tilt that's the only thing that you're doing or it's it's just a hobby right and yeah it's it a lot of times it's not those extremes i mean there are certainly people that do it full time absolutely and there are some that do it because they're just passionate about it but you know if they make a little bit of money from it great if it you know pays pays for something that you're passionate about great but that's all they care about and that's also great too but those I would say are 
kind of, if you will, the extremes, right? One is doing it for your own personal purposes and for your own personal passion. And then one is, uh, you know, it's, you know, full on full time, you know, uber successful. Right. And I find that most of us really fall in that middle area where it's where we want to, you know, whether it is full time or not, we are also looking for, you know, other, we can also look for other avenues to where our skill sets can be beneficial in. And I think that's also important too, because I, you know, that, that experience goes over, right? Your, like, as you mentioned, you got certified in Logic Pro that helped you build your own company mm-hmm. in music because of the work that you're doing for Apple and your employment yeah. for Apple. Yeah, the whole thing with that was I was doing I was I was playing full time uh, in in that particular season, and needed a a place where I could work when I wasn't on the road that didn't mind if I looked like an absolute freak show, which I I did at the time, <laughs> and they at that time you know the the Apple retail thing was still kind of in its infancy, and this was before the full. It, uh, Intel changeover happened. This is pre-iPhone. This is pre-everything. So they were just looking for interesting people who could talk about their their stuff, and I could definitely do that. And it was it was this this interesting thing because it was a means to an end, but it was also incredibly beneficial. And I made a lot of contacts through that job because anybody who had issues with Apple products came to the Apple store. And so, and and I live in Atlanta which has a very large industry presence. And through that job, I, I met uh, Andre 3000. I met uh, the, the girls in TLC. I met Justin Bieber. I, like all of these folks just rolling through and just needed help with something. And uh, it, was, uh, it was an interesting time to, to be in that organization because one, I was getting stock options like before the rocket ride even took off. So uh, I was able to uh, make, make some money off of that, uh, after the fact, but it was just, uh, it was, a, it was a place that really appreciated and respected creative people and let them be themselves while doing this job. That was ultimately the reason is that I could just, I could come and go. And actually I was, I, I had, I had a, I was on the tour the day that the original iPhone was launched. I was like, I've, it's been on the, it's been on the schedule for, you know, six months. Like it hadn't, the iPhone hadn't been announced yet. And so uh, I wasn't there for that one, but I was there for every launch up until I think the iPhone four. Wow! But yeah, it was it was cool. That's amazing. So uh, you you were actually there in person. It, I'm gonna go. On, I'm definitely going to sidetrack for a second. <laughs> gonna nerd out with a second yeah. here. But uh, did you? So so were you there in person for those announcements then? Post like post the original iPhone. Well, I mean, I was there like we were in the I was in the store when they announced the first iPhone, like they were doing the the keynote and it was mm-hmm. literally like we all had our like our headphones in our headsets in and it would be like, it does this, it does this. And we were just like standing out on the uh, on the floor, just like losing our minds. We just didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, like everything changed after that, like that whole that yeah. whole experience as an employee changed. It was wild. I can imagine. I mean. In general, I, I funny enough, I actually watched that presentation, that keynote. I, I kid you not, about a couple of days ago, in fact. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I watch those uh, keynotes, especially Steve Jobs' keynotes, because mm-hmm. he is such an amazing show person. And what I found so interesting about it, and the reason why I was looking at it, going, why is this such an amazing presentation? Not because of the product itself, right? Which was revolutionary, right? 
But the way that he explained it, the way that he presented the iPhone, and it was interesting because it was a lot of surprises, right? Where he would talk, he, he mentioned the first thing that he did in this presentation was mentioned that there was three separate devices that did three, that did different things. Mm -hmm. The way he explained it, right, is like got everyone excited about these things and then said, no, 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 this is one thing. This is one product. And I mean, that went, everyone went wild thinking that, oh, wow, these are individual devices that I would want to have. But no, this is actually all in one thing. This is a, uh, a phone, but also an iPod, which you know at the time was crazy to think about that a phone could do those things um, and also have access to the Internet and actual Internet, not, you know, you know, garbage internet yeah. that was back then. And, you know, things like that. And the, he he had humor. He had you know it was simplicity. He was talking about like you know you know he was like how how are we gonna touch this thing? We're gonna use a stylus. He's like no 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 we're not gonna use a stylus. We're gonna just use our hands right and things that we take so much for granted today. But then I mean that was truly magical when he first did the pinch move. I mean that was un unseen before that. That was the first time something like that existed, and it it did change everything. Yeah and. You know, even things like um, one of my there's two two of my favorite moments that he did because Steve Jobs is a prankster, yeah. And so, uh, was when he was showing off maps right on the phone, and then he called Starbucks and he's like, "Can I have like three thousand lattes?" Lattes, yeah. <laughs> he actually called Starbucks like live, um, and then the other and the other thing, and I think this is something that we that um is a big takeaway is when during these types of you know, whenever you're doing any kind of performance, which this is a performance, yeah. right, is Chances are something's always going to go wrong, right? Like, and you know, like being on the road and you've also been cover band, which we'll get to in a second. But there was a part, there was a technical issue with the slides. And so what happened was, is that when there was a technical issue with the slides, what Steve did was he just told a story. And he kept everyone entertained. Like he just told the story about he, how he and Waz, like during their college days, had a... um a device that would just um, scramble a TV signal. So they would be like a bunch of, uh, you know, students in the college dorm trying to watch Star Trek. And they would intentionally scramble the television screen on them. And like, he was just telling the story while they were trying to figure things out. And I think that is like, it's so important, right? Is that you have to go with the flow and even like a multi-billion dollar company like Apple, even back then, massive company. Yeah. And things will still go wrong. And you just have to go with the flow. It was always interesting because th the thing that I always liked watching about the keynotes was the redundancy because something had gone wrong. After that, the whole stage setup changed and there was always <laughs> multiples of everything. And um, the thing about being in the company when Steve was there was he was just able to cast vision in a way that was so compelling. And ultimately, I think that's what made him great. He His ability to to share things with people in a way that was easy to understand, even if it was like super complex. And uh, I was, I was there through uh, when he passed away and like we closed the stores down. And actually when you, when you hit certain milestones in the company, they would give you, you get these certificates. And I got one of the last Steve jobs signed five-year plaques. Everybody wow. after that got uh, you know, ones signed by, by Tim. Tim yeah. And, and like we sat around the the day that he he died and we just like talked about you know what that what he meant to us as people and you know how he impacted our lives and i mean it was a bunch of you know misfits and ne'er-do-wells who were working for this company that felt like they had a place that they belonged it was it was really important to a lot of people 
And um, yeah, it was, they, they let us watch the, uh, like the, the ceremony that they did out uh, in Cupertino. And uh, it was really cool. It was, it was cool to feel like you were a part of that. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a, an awesome experience. Wow. That's, that's absolutely incredible. So <laughs> transitioning from that, but we'll go back to a second. Yeah. I did want to go on that tangent. Um, but you decided at some point that you wanted to develop your own booking agency. So you, you, you kind of took a little bit of a, a shift, if you will, when you moved back to Atlanta, I mean, of course, working for Apple, but then also doing composition work. Yep. What made you decide that you wanted to go back into the booking world? So it, again, I'm one of those people where if something doesn't present itself, I'll just do it. Um, the, the story around me moving back to Atlanta was I, I joined this, this group that was pretty successful in the area. And, you know, we were making moves and got to play cool shows and put records out and that kind of thing. So that was the primary focus. It was the thing that I was doing. And it was the thing that I dedicated all of my time and resources to. Uh, and over time, you know, bands kind of fall apart, like they always do. And I ended up kind of stuck because when you dedicate six, seven years to something and then it ends, you, you kind of are stuck in this limbo. And, and I didn't play live for probably over a year after that band went under. And in that time, I was I, I was like, maybe I'll do something on my own or do like a solo thing. And it just it didn't I never really found the right partners or, or people to kind of work with. So, uh, but I, I did want to start playing out again. So I had some friends who had this thing that they were doing, uh, on Thursday nights, they had a residency at this, at this venue and they, uh, they were doing this yacht rock cover band thing. And it became this massive cultural deal in Atlanta. And I just, one of my a guy that I knew who worked at the guitar store that I, I, was close to my house. So I was like, Hey, do you guys ever need like subs for those gigs? And he's like, yeah, I could plug you in. It's like a guitar player. He's like, no, I think I would have like, I could probably be a vocalist. I think that might be my strong suit. And I got plugged in with those guys and they were kind of again, right place, right time. They exploded and it got their The demand for that band got so busy. They created a second band doing the exact same thing. And so you kind of had like an A tier and a B tier. And between that, there were four vocalist spots that needed filling at any given time. So that was my introduction to playing in cover bands that were actually making money. And I did that for about two years and learned a lot and decided, well, maybe I could do this myself. So with their permission, because they already had an existing agency, I was like, well, what if I started like an 80s thing? Because they didn't really have that in their roster. So I was like, well... I've got this group of guys and I think we could do this. So would you be interested in booking us? And they said, yes. And so I started that band and that band over the course of, I mean, at this point, it's been 10 years, did really well and made good money. And it was just kind of one of those things where the, the business kind of allowed me the, uh, the freedom to bankroll other endeavors. So once that band was established, I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just launch my own agency. And the, the initial idea was like, well, this band does eighties, but like, we also have all these nineties songs. So why don't we just, instead of trying to make this one band do all of these things, 
let's just spin them out. And every line, every era has its own band, but it's roughly the same personnel. So I had an 80s version and a 90s version and a top 40 version. And actually now we have a pop punk version because why not? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, I stood up an agency as a way to book those, those bands. And it was, it was still just me. It was by myself. Uh, but it, it gave me a lot more experience in the kind of corporate private events world. And, uh, also allowed me to throw good business to my friends who were in other groups who were doing this kind of work. So it, it, it again, it was just kind of a, I'm not getting the attention that I, I think we deserve. So I'll just do it myself. And that's what we did. That's amazing. Yeah. It, it's interesting, right? We were talking about before about adapting to situations, but also it's kind of, I don't want to say it's counterintuitive, but it is essentially this, you know, both the same is that, adapting to your surroundings or what opportunities are available to you, but then also essentially manifesting your own opportunities as well. Right. Yeah. If there, if there's something that you're looking for, or there's a, you know, there's a, there's a need out there, but it's not being you know fulfilled, whatever the case is, person, especially personally, right. Is manifesting your own saying, okay, well, I'm just going to, it's, it's not there yet. So I'm just going to go ahead and create it on my own. But it's, it, it does sound like it's the opposite of it, but in reality, it really is the same. It's one and the same, essentially. It's just finding what is what you want to do and what's out there. And if it doesn't exist, then you, you make you make something of it. Yeah. When I lived in Nashville, you know, because we were kind of in the belly of the beast, there was this really thri like thriving DIY community. And so I played in bands with a lot of other groups that were in that kind of that space and in that mindset and doing really well. So you just kind of got used to doing stuff on your own because you didn't have the money or resources to do it. So if you don't know how to make flyers, well, I guess we'll, I'll figure it out and maybe they'll suck for a while, but eventually you get the hang of it. And, and we just, that was, that was what was imbued in me beyond the, the business fundamentals. I mean, because a music business degree is a business degree. I have a business admin minor and so I was taking a marketing class and I did a marketing for recordings class and I did a management class and then I did an artist management class. And you realize like, these are all the same thing. You're, you're selling widgets. It's just the widget in this case is a band or a song or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you, you learn those, those key components of running a business plus the ethos of, well, if it's not there, I'll figure it out and shoot, you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of the fact that you decided to make essentially sub brands, if you will, of the, of the same group where it would focus on a specific genre, which make essentially make some niche bands. Right. Is that because if they if, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a corporate is looking for a specific type of genre, mm -hmm. is that they're going to look for that kind of genre of music. And who are you going to go with? Are you going to go with, uh, you know, it's, it, I guess it's the difference between Jack of all trades band that can do everything in comparison to a band that says, okay, we focus on nineties music. We focus on eighties music. We focus on pop punk, right? Whatever the case is where even though technically, you know, behind the scenes, it's literally the same members it's being promoted in a way that is specific to that genre of music. Yeah. You have to remove the friction in those circumstances. So I could sit there and be like, yeah, this is an eighties band, but we can also play this music. No, here's a nineties band. Here's an eighties band. And so you, you're just objectively looking at the product and go, yeah, that makes sense. Just whatever you got to do to 
to minimize the amount of friction that the the prospective client has to go through. Make them jump through as few hoops as possible. That's the easiest way to to close close a deal. So let's talk about uh, cover band confidential. Can you talk about what that is and uh, how that came about? Yeah. So in the process of building all of these things, I was I, I got to the point where I had screwed up enough and kind of learned a lot of things by doing them the hard way. I was like, man, I really have kind of put myself through it. I I, I don't know if everybody has the uh, resilience or the uh, neuro, I don't know, neuroses to put up with kind of hitting the brick wall over and over again and, and figuring it out. And I was looking for other resources for bands that were doing what I was doing, and there just weren't any. There were kind of, there were other, there were blogs and there were Facebook groups and there were podcasts and they kind of sort of maybe delved a little bit into the stuff that I, I was into, but like not enough. And at some point I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm going to start a blog. And so I started writing articles and then I put it up, put them up on like a free WordPress and uh, through that kind of started sharing them in, in these groups. And inevitably there would be this small subset of that population who was like, Hey, this really resonated with me. This is good stuff. Do you have any more? Or they'd be like, Hey, I do this. And I, uh, I've got a perspective on this particular part of the business. Would you be interested in having somebody write articles for the, I was like, yes, because that's less stuff for me to have to do. And once we kind of got a pretty solid library of content, it was like, well, maybe this should be in a different format. And that became a podcast. Um, and that was five years ago at this point. And one of the guys who was doing a lot of guest writing for the blog was just a guy that was always on the same side of the argument as I was in those groups. And so I was like, hey, would you, would you want to maybe host this show with me? And he's like, sure. And uh, we started that one week and we haven't stopped since. And so we, we've, at this point, we've done over 300 podcast episodes and uh, that also during the pandemic became uh, a much a much more fleshed out YouTube channel uh, that had not only the podcast stuff in it, but also short form or scripted stuff that was a bit more focused and not so conversational. And uh, yeah, it's been this cool community that we've built, and it it's become a you know a cash positive endeavor at this point. And uh, yeah, we've got this this great community of successful musicians who are just crushing it in their markets, sharing what they know with other folks who are doing the same thing. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Good for you. I want, I definitely want to point out about doing over 300 episodes because that <laughs> is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> I know this from personal experience is this episode. I, I'm it's paying on when this episode comes out as of this recording, we just released a number, I think 169 and even that, hey, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot to keep up with and it's a weekly podcast, right? Is yeah. It, yeah. Especially doing weekly podcasts is, is really challenging to do, you know, the amount of work that's involved in, in producing episodes on a consistent basis yeah. is, is really, really tough. So I want to definitely commend you of that fact. Yeah. Considering the fact that we spent over a year where like none of us were working and we still managed to put an episode out a week. Like if you can get through that, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. Because if you can fill up 45 minutes to an hour of stuff that's still relevant 
uh yeah it it was um that was that was definitely the the hardest part of it uh but you again you learn to be resilient you you come up with stuff and you learn to think on the fly and um it's it's been super rewarding and uh just yeah it's been a blast and i've learned so much about so many things that i had no clue about before i started and yeah it's it's been it's been rad I'm a, a adjunct professor and it's interesting because I find, and I think that's it. That is the last stage of, of learning. And I say that specifically learning because as a teacher, you're learning at the same time mm -hmm. because you are doing the, you're doing additional research. You are putting together this material. And as you're doing so, you're actually are learning a, more about your own subject because the fact you're going through these paces mm -hmm. and, I find with the podcast the same thing. I'm I'm constantly learning all the time. Every, for every guest that I have on the show, I'm learning something new, and you know I think that's one of the one of the many joys of doing this is because it gives me a vehicle to 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 learn something more about the industry that I'm in and learning yeah. more about other industries as well. Yeah, the you know getting to interview people is the the best way to kind of glean knowledge and expertise, and uh, it's it is one of my favorite things that we we do we we actually um we we get opportunities to talk with musicians kind of like on a one-to-one -one basis but we also do band coaching which is really cool because it gives you uh it gives you fresh perspectives because you know i know how things work in my market and my co-host knows how it works where he's from but like you're talking with a band in montana or you're talking with uh, a group of guys in ireland and you know the world some things are universal, but other things are very local and very specific. And adding that knowledge to whatever it is you're doing is is super important and just makes you better overall. I've learned more from the guys in our like private Slack channel than probably anybody else because they're it's just not being precious about the things that you know is one of the greatest things in a community. And that's that's ultimately what the purpose of all the stuff that I do on all of my channels is to share what I know. So you don't have to deal with the crap that I dealt with when I mess something up. That's ultimately the goal there is to keep you from, you know, hitting the rake in your face when you step on it. Or at the very least knowing that you're not alone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Make the same mistakes. And sometimes that's how we, we all learn sometimes the hard way. Cause those are the lessons that usually are the that ones that stick. Yeah. But I agree with you is that I am very open and transparent about uh, my experience and knowledge for the same reason. I think that I'm a very big believer in rising ties, raise all ships, right? 100%. You know, if we're helping out others, those are the people that are going to help us out in return in some other form or fashion, or even if they don't, right? If we are supporting our industry as a whole and we're bringing in, like, just from a business perspective for a second, if we're all bringing in more money to the mm -hmm. industry, that means there's more money for all of us to work with. That means that there's more attention to what we're doing. It means that there's going to be more opportunities because of that fact. So in in reality, it does help all of us out in the long run. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, though, is that especially in, in the musician community, that is not a common mindset. It is. It, uh, I know so many people that operate on scarcity. And, you know, because a gig, a gig to your band means a gig that my band didn't get. And I'm not going to tell you my contacts. I'm not going to share these things with you because if you know them, then you're just going to take stuff away from me. 
when you if you have an an abundance mindset everybody's out there they're doing the thing that they're doing and if this band makes this much money per show that means that my band someday can make that much money per show like that's and it's much easier to operate in a community that way because you can be stoked for people and you can be in their corner and you know you you can do these little you i don't know what you want to call them goodwill karmic deposits around so that in in whatever situation where you need a favor or you know you need somebody to help you out you've built enough goodwill you've built enough positive vibes around the the people in that community that people are willing to step up for you or or stand up for you you know depending on the situation that is much more valuable than you know keeping stuff from from other musicians like i just don't i don't understand that at all i totally agree so i do want to uh talk about you also wrote a book uh, yeah about the ebook that you wrote so kind of if you're if you kind of listen to the through line of this story you know the thing that really got me to wherever it is that i am and also i think success looks different for everybody and whatever you whatever your kind of barrier of success is like, don't compare yourself to other people. Comparison's the thief of joy. Like don't, whatever it is that makes you happy should be what success is. So in doing that, I, I, I have built successful things, I guess. I've got bands that make good money. I've got an agency that does well. And I've got this creative endeavor and I built these followings on TikTok and YouTube and all these places. And because I'm a person who's not precious, I was like, there's, there is a way that I've done this. And so why don't you put it down in, in some kind of easy to digest creative strategy? So that's what I did it over the course of the last year, I put together this ebook that I call the band system, B A N D. Uh, that is the way that I frame stuff when I launch creative projects, but it's not just for that. It could be for anything. It could be for a business. It could be for a YouTube channel. It could be for uh, you releasing a record. It's not, it's a, the, the whole concept is universal, but it was something where I was just ready to kind of share that part of me. Cause I feel like I've established my expertise in the fields that I'm already talking in. And I feel like there's a bigger world out there. You know, the intent with Cover Band Confidential was the idea that, well, there's working musicians in every town all over the world. And so, and those people aren't being spoken to. So I want to be a part of that. But outside of the musician community, there's stuff that I know that could benefit a larger population. So let's use the things that I know about the music industry and, and being in a touring band and kind of use that as like the angle to approach these other things that might benefit a larger group of people. That's amazing. And uh, when, when does when does this publish? Uh, I I released it at the end of 2023. It is out now, and uh, it's it's this kind of new journey. I I um I don't quite know where to go with it. It was just something that I felt compelled to share, and so talking with folks like you and getting on podcasts and sharing my story is kind of a way to establish that. But yeah, I've got big plans for it. I hope I hope it reaches people. I hope it works for people. I hope it helps people out. And ultimately that's that's what I'm here for. I want I love sharing cool stuff with people. And and so 
putting it into a an easy to digest book was, in my opinion, uh, the easiest way to do that. Well, I'll definitely make sure we include it in the show notes. So definitely awesome. check it out. Uh, so we'll definitely wrap things up here because I want to be respectful for your time. Uh, but I do have a couple of fun questions to ask you. Let's go. Wrap things up. First question. First concert that you ever went to? New Kids on the Block. Yes, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, I was in, I think, second grade. It was at the Omni, which is no longer in, in existence in Atlanta. That's great. I love it. Do you have a go-to song to put on in the car? Uh, that's a good one. Um, if I'm by myself, it's probably going to be either Beastie Boys or Jimmy Eat World. That 23 record is, I'm sorry, the, the Futures is one of my favorite albums. Uh, 23 on that record is the Oh, the fantastic. And I, I'm a huge Jimmy World fan. And I actually yeah. do like their that era of their music. Futures oh, yeah. is also one of my favorite albums, too, from them. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. If you were only able to give one piece of advice to somebody in the music industry, what would that one piece of advice be? If you don't see things happening for you through the existing channels, do it yourself. Make your own opportunities. I agree. I think that really sums up both of our experiences, right? Is that we found whatever whatever was in, available to us, we took advantage of. And what wasn't, we filled that need. I mean, I started an independent record label by buying two books. Mm -hmm. Zero contact uh, in the music industry. Had I literally, the first artist I ever signed was an electronic artist. And uh, it was a friend of ours. And we literally told I was a, I, a buddy of mine started the label with me. And we literally told him, we said, we said, hey, we have no idea what we're doing, but we found the sample contract in the book. Can you sign this and we'll figure out how to get you onto iTunes? Yeah. That's how it literally got started. We, we manifested the record label out of something that we felt passionate about. And this was back in 2007, eight timeframe. So mm -hmm. the entire music industry was at a very at a precipice of a chain of a major change. And we wanted to be a part of that change. Yeah. So. I totally agree with you is that if if it's not available to you in your own channels, manifest it. Well, I, one other thing to kind of tag onto that, what you have is in your kind of like resource arsenal and your knowledge is valuable to other people, whether you think it is or not. One of the things that we, that, that I sell uh, through the, the podcast and my website are contracts for bands because I created this performance contract and this technical writer that my band uses to, you know, to pull in really solid gigs. And I think a lot of people don't know what to ask for. And so at some point I was like, I wonder if people would be interested in this. And I just, I literally just took all the personal information up, converted it to a PDF, put it up on my website and uh, just started selling it. And, it, you know, it's, it's crazy. The stuff that, you know, if you have something that you use all the time, maybe it's worth something to somebody else. So digital products are are amazing. I uh, I'm I'm a huge proponent of that. Me too, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. Really, do appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to meeting you in person at Nam. Likewise, dude. Thank you so much for listening to Creatives Prevail. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave us a review. They are an immense help. Now go out there and make something happen.